Hey guys, Lisa Kostova here with the Star Guided Entrepreneur, and I'm so excited to talk to you today about the principle of opportunity, and specifically the principle of how to spot an opportunity. You see, I've been thinking a lot in recent times, in recent days, with the market volatility, and as I mentioned in the prior episode, there are plenty of examples of when incredibly successful businesses are launched, ideas are started at a time of uncertainty and volatility, similar to the period that we're headed in right now. And I just got off a coaching call with a student, a client of mine, and she is so creative and she is just so bright and has so much experience in different avenues of, you know, just working for herself, being very resourceful, working on property, working in, you know, scientific institutions, just all around very talented, very capable person. And she's part of my Rising Stars program, which is a beta program I am currently testing for entrepreneurs who want to understand how to choose the right market and more importantly, carve out a place in the market where they are experts. And most of the people I'm working with are already successful. They're already working coaches or consultants. And a few of them have different type of ideas or different type of markets they want to explore. One person is more on the entertainment space. And this person that I'm talking about today, she shared with me after a little bit about how coaching and an online business for her was just a stepping stone so that she could quote unquote make money so that she could do the thing that she's always dreamed of doing, which turns out is a version of, and I hate to use the word spa because I'm going to say like, it doesn't have to be a spa, but it's a version of a spa that she wants to create that is very experience-based and around combining talking to people, supporting people in a coaching context, and also combining some of the sensual and the relaxing environment of of a spa. And it was interesting to me because I'm still conditioned, not as much as I used to be when I worked in Silicon Valley, but I'm very conditioned to just be around people who have started businesses. I'm conditioned to work for startups or be around people who think about ideas and opportunities, and then go and marshal the resources and find investors, put together a business plan, start testing, iterating, and getting the idea off the ground. It doesn't occur to me that somebody who is is not part of that ecosystem as much may experience a challenge or may experience a block in thinking that they have to be the one to fund everything. They have to be the one to have the whole expertise in the startup for the idea to work. So when I ask her, hey, I'm just curious, why are you not pursuing this longer term vision that you have? Why wait? Why get yourself in the you know, online space or in the coaching consulting market that you're passionate about, but it's not your ultimate vision. Why do that? And she said, well, because, and she walked me through kind of some personal finance math. And she said, well, because this, this thing is this way in my personal finances. And long story short, I cannot afford to open a place like this. And then it really hit me. It really hit me because It's just so important. It's so important that all of us entrepreneurs surround ourselves with people who have additional experiences, different backgrounds, different ways of looking at things. And I'm such a person for her. And a lot of people that I learn from are that for me. So it's 
super important to be constantly surrounding yourself with people who have different perspectives and ideas. Because at that point, I told her, hey, what if I were to tell you that we can actually market test and we can test and validate some ideas that you have around this and it doesn't have to cost a lot of money and there are all these avenues for once you validate a concept or idea and once you start putting together a plan there are all these avenues of getting funding including Kickstarter or including actual seed or angel investors that are looking for female-based businesses and entrepreneurs And what was also interesting is I told her, hey, you don't also have to be the one to know the ins and outs of the whole industry. She had a lot of knowledge. She had already done a lot of homework and paid attention to a lot of the things that mattered in terms of how businesses in that sector are run. She's somebody who goes to spas all the time and she travels based on what spas are available. That's what she told me. Anyway, um, without revealing too much information, I just say that there is this one thing that I taught her, which is contained in the principle when we look at astrology, is contained in the principle of Jupiter, the planet that is really active this year with respect to the alignment of Saturn, Jupiter, and Pluto in the sky. And for the last couple of podcast episodes, I've talked to you guys a lot about Pluto and how that's manifesting with fears and with uncertainty and with the virus. But it's also important to realize that Jupiter is up there as well, playing together. And really, for me, that is the marker of creating opportunity or creating growth. Jupiter's archetype is one of expansion, one of opportunity, one of fortune. Some astrologers have erroneously named it the planet of good luck, just because it, it happens to correlate a lot of times with fortunate events or help or support or resources becoming available. But truly, the archetype of Jupiter, now why I want to bring it into the story is about training oneself to spot opportunity. So I gave my student a homework of going out on Kickstarter, going out on product hunt, reading books, uh, reading some of the books by one of my mentors, Professor Clayton Christensen. The Innovator's Dilemma and The Innovator's Solution are excellent books that form the foundation of some of the most important and popular courses in Harvard Business School about running enterprises and learning innovation and learning the cycle of a company and learning how to adapt, whether you are being the disruptor, the startup, or whether you're being the company being disrupted. And so I sent her to read all these books and look at all these resources with a specific homework and of actually starting to walk around in her life every waking moment, especially when she goes to spas or areas that are consistent with the ideas that she has of starting a new business and notice if there's a friction, notice if there's an inconvenience that she or somebody else experiences, notice what the problem is or notice if an innovative solution has come up and kind of reverse engineer it. So for example, you can do that yourself. Go on Kickstarter right now and look at some of the products that are being funded and ask yourself, what is the opportunity that they saw? What is the problem that had not been solved before that they are solving? And problems can be different categories. There are problems that are convenience-related problems. So something is, you know, way more convenient in this new solution. There are obviously price problems, but price is its own animal. It's not really related to innovation. Innovation is more about the function and the utility and solving a problem that was not possible to be solved before. So we're talking about, for example, Instacart right now. 
you know, being able to deliver groceries to your home, shopping online. That was all made possible because of where technology is and where demand was ready for that type of product. So just being aware, looking everywhere in your life about opportunities for trends, opportunities, problems that people are having that are not being solved, opportunities for new trends and technologies emerging that allow a different solution to things. These are all principles. These are all mindset that every successful entrepreneur just thinks this way and is conditioned to think this way. The other part that an entrepreneur knows how to do very well, which I explained to my friend is that as an entrepreneur, you don't have to use your own money and you don't have to know it all. It doesn't have to be about yourself. You can actually come up with an idea, do the research, do the validation, do the testing, and then pitch that idea and enroll people, others in joining forces with you and enroll investors in funding it and putting it together. And I went back to something that I learned in my first entrepreneurship class at Harvard Business School. And we used to do a lot of case studies at business school. And these are essentially write-ups of like long stories. There may be like 30 pages long, including the exhibits of certain companies that were faced with a challenge or a story of an entrepreneur or a company that was illustrative of something that we were learning in class. And then we were supposed to use the data in the exhibits and in the case to propose a solution or how we would deal with the situation in their shoes. So that's the case study method. And I'll never forget, there are a few case studies that are etched in my brain. And one of them is the first case study they give us in the entrepreneurial management course in our first year. And that is a case study called R&R. And it talks about Bob Reese, who is an entrepreneur, and he's launching a new board game. So this is back in the 80s. This is pre-internet days. So what, what he did back then was revolutionary for that time because nowadays there's just lower barriers of entry to do any type of retailing and any type of product fulfillment. You know, you can do drop shipping and do all kinds of different things on Etsy and eBay and Amazon and Shopify. But back in the day, this was when all of retail was done in brick and mortar stores. There was no internet and the big companies in the board game industry dominated and they were the you know juggernauts so he made a board game that generated a lot of money and and was profitable and made a lot of money in a short period of time he did that only with himself and an assistant and so what he did is he did his market research he knew a lot about the gaming industry and the opportunity that he saw was that at the time, a lot of the board games were developed in the US and then they were being sold and moved to Canada. And what he saw was a trend at the time of trivial games. So the trivial games were emerging and he saw a game that had been developed in Canada but had not entered the US yet. And that was a TV-based trivial game that he saw. And he quickly realized that there was this unique wit of opportunity that that game if replicated in the US would have a lot bigger sales number associated with it would be a lot more popular because just the size of the Canadian and the US market are that different. And what he started doing, he pitched the TV Guide magazine in the US and had it be like a trivial pursuit that was connected with that TV Guide 
He also pre-sold a large number of games, so he didn't have to spend a lot of cash to actually fund the manufacturing and the production of the game. I also believe that he found somebody to actually design it, who was a game designer. Bob was, uh, the one expertise he brought was that he understood the game industry and he understood the shipping and the manufacturing and the logistics of that industry. So he was able to spot this opportunity and act on it. And he did it without hardly any of his capital. He had the TV guide paid for some of it with, you know, obviously their name was going to be on it and people were going to play a game that was connected with that guide. He also pre-sold a large number of games to the stores that were really interested in trivial games because that was a seasonal and very hot market at the time. And what he did was he he's known and the reason why they use him as the first case study in entrepreneurship at Harvard is because he's a kind of a clean example of the entrepreneurial mindset that does not depend on having the funds, that does not depend on having all the expertise or doing everything in-house, kind of a vertical model. What he did was he marshaled resources. He used the creativity, spotted the opportunity, and then acted on it. And then at every single step, he de-risked it, he tested it, he de-risked it by pre-selling and by having partners. So he was not really risking a whole lot of his own capital or the only thing he was risking was his time. But it was a very well executed business and it was a perfect example of the way that entrepreneurs think about markets and about opportunity. So I highly recommend that you guys check out my mentor, Clay Christensen's books, The Innovator Solution and The Innovator's Dilemma. But I also recommend that you check out the book by one of my teachers and celebrity entrepreneurs, Evan Pagan, and it's called Opportunity. And again, just accustom yourself to walking around the world with your eyes peeled for opportunities for things that are either not working for behavior that's changing. So over the last couple of days, I've been thinking a lot about how behavior is going to change as a result of the possible pandemic. And some of the things that I'm thinking about is like, wow, okay, look at look at the whole market tanking. And obviously, the worst hit stocks are the ones of the travel industries and of airlines and also of cruise companies. I honestly think that cruise ship companies may not survive this thing. If you think about it, they're just floating ginormous petri dishes that are breeding illnesses right now. And unfortunately, the demographic that is going on cruise ships for the most part is elderly. So they're much more vulnerable to these viruses and risks. So I am personally thinking that the cruise ship industry is headed down. That's one of those falling knives and sinking industries that, no pun intended, sinking ships that I wouldn't want to bet on or I wouldn't want to have a business that in any way, shape or form is involved with that part of the market. Not the same with airlines because I do believe that airline travel is going to survive. It's such a core part of how we live these days. But if you think about it, here's one stock that was up quite a bit of the news of the coronavirus. And that was the stock of the company Zoom. So Zoom makes the software that I and a lot of other people use to video conference. And they've really taken the lead over Skype and over GoToWebinar, largely because of the way that they've made it so user-friendly. And so kind of instead of wanting to do like 15 
things, you know, in Skype, you go in there and you get lost in all the functionalities that they've built. And they're really like mediocre at a lot of things and not like super specialized and good at one thing. You know, they have chat and they have like birthday reminders and they have all kinds of other functionality that I don't, I don't even know. And GoToWebinar is really clunky. Like it's practically unusable. Good luck trying to install it on an iPhone. And so more and more as people start using their mobile devices, they are gravitating towards specialized products, niche products like Zoom. Zoom is a niche product completely about video conferencing and webinars and online meetings. That's it. They don't know any of the chats. I mean, they have an embedded chat, but it's like just during the meeting. But they're not doing a messenger app. They're not, you know, getting into these other things. They don't try to be everything to everyone. And so they're specialized in an industry that's going to profit from a change in behavior right now. Because the change in behavior that we're going to see, at least in the short to medium term, is likely going to be more people staying at home, more people skipping work and working from home. There being social distancing, especially in areas that are affected by the virus, that's going to be the major behavioral change and perhaps not being in such close contact with somebody. So some of the things that are, you know, possibly going to suffer are, and, you know, I told this to my friend are, you know, I, I expect spas to take a huge hit or any place where you're in close physical proximity to another human being, when there's like a possibility of contracting something from another person, that is going to be hit by a behavior that I expect to be more around distance and separation of space, staying at home, working from home. So any ideas that you may have right now that are, you know, obviously there are a couple of people online. I know Amazon shut down a lot of them recently that are trying to profit from the coronavirus, claiming all kinds of bogus, bogus uh, supplements and bogus cures. We're not talking about like the immediate freak out and everybody buying masks and hand cleaners. We're talking about here, medium to long-term trends, things that this possible pandemic is going to impact as like global behaviors. And so opportunities that I see, and I've been thinking a lot about them, opportunities that I see are industries and solutions and product that you can do while working from home or that enable you to work and be productive at home or to access entertainment at home. I expect Netflix to profit significantly from this. I expect the cinema industry to be seriously hit as fewer and fewer people go to the movies. That's already happening organically, but now even more so with this development, with the virus. Another thing I expect, anytime something goes away or is phased out, I'm always asking myself, well, what's going to replace it? What's going to come in its place? So now we see the cruise ship industry being hit and also some elderly homes being hit in terms of obviously the elderly demographic is more prone to viruses and is more vulnerable. So I'm just thinking, okay, if older people are not going to be going to cruises anymore, what are they going to be doing to substitute for that? Are they going to be traveling or getting entertainment in other ways? And also, how will they be taken care of if the nursing homes or those kind of big places where they keep them and they take care of them are, are now more vulnerable? Like, how is that going to change how is that going to expose needs of the elderly market that are not going to be met either by travel or through elder care? There's a lot of opportunity there. And I expect companies to emerge out of this time that really capitalize on this opportunity to serve the elder market better through either providing alternative travel and entertainment options, as well as 
perhaps giving them the option to have more private care that is not housed in a big elderly home. Any solution or any sort of enhancement in their life, I think in this scenario is going to be a good bet for a company or for entrepreneurs. So in summary, what I love for you guys to start thinking about is, yes, this is a turbulent time, this is a volatile time, and we know from past experience that with volatility and with crisis comes major shifts that take place. So if I were you, I would ask yourself the question, what shifts, what trends am I seeing? And where can I position myself as an entrepreneur to kind of capitalize on some of these trends? Obviously, this is not just about you guys making money and profiteering. This is about if you're seeing something that's going to change radically and you have a passion for that market or you have skills and expertise in it and you truly want to serve people, then now is an opportunity to see what is the next wave going to be? What is that next series of companies going to be in the wellness and spa space, in the travel and entertainment industries? What other things that we as humanity would use when we're staying more at home? What are some things that we could do for our elderly market that is not going to go on cruise ships as much anymore, that's not going to travel as much anymore, and is probably not going to be congregating in these nursing homes or assisted living, at least common places as they used to be? And if you see something that aligns with all of these things, then by all means, go for it. Go for it because experience has taught us that you don't need to have the capital. You just need to have an idea. You need to validate it. And you need to be really resourceful about putting together capital, putting together the business plan, putting together opportunities for growth, testing and validating the product, the idea, the market. That's extremely important. It's extremely important to validate the deal killer risks first, get them out of the way before you invest a penny in a business. And that's part of what I teach in the Star Blueprint framework. I teach you guys how to validate markets and market opportunities, even as a coach and uh, somebody who's providing services, not just physical based products. And I will leave you with one story, one of my favorite stories about how a company got started without shelling out a lot of money. And it's a famous company as one of the biggest companies these days and it's Amazon. So a little known story, when Amazon got started, they were competing at the time with a lot of the brick and mortar booksellers like Barnes and Noble and Borders. And they started as an online bookstore. And in the beginning, the biggest cost for a bookstore is the inventory of books, having to buy all of these books and hold them in store in the hope that somebody's going to buy them and just a lot of capital is tied up in the books. And so Jeff Bezos shares the story about how early on in the day, they spot an opportunity, they figure it out. And it's all the companies have done a similar hack, including Airbnb. So Amazon early on spot an opportunity to where a lot of the books would have to be ordered by these from these catalog companies. And there was a minimum order of 10 books for a book to be delivered from a catalog. And so if you think about it, that's actually a problem. Because if somebody buys one book from you on your online store, then you have to order 10 and keep nine in your wherever in your space and hope that somebody's going to buy one of the other nine at some point in the future. However, here's what Amazon figured out. They figured out that if your physical mail order contained books that are out of print or out of, I think it was out of print books, then the catalog would send you the books in your order that were available. 
I will add a quick note of, oh, we're sorry, the following other books are out of print. So we're just sending you the one book from your order of 10 that is available. So you can guess what the company did. Anytime they got an order for a book that was in print, they would turn around and place an order to a catalog for that book plus nine books that they knew were out of print. And they got the book and they didn't have to pay for the other nine. And Jeff Bezos jokes that one of these days, a bunch of trucks are going to pull up to the headquarters of Amazon with all the out-of-print books that they ordered back in the day, but never got delivered. So I'll leave you with this story. Take inspiration from this. All of the businesses start from scratch. All of the businesses are scrappy and resourceful in the beginning. And this, guys, this now is the time to cultivate your ability to spot opportunity. It's a time where a lot of behavioral changes are taking place, where things are going to change And we better stay on top of it and we better look at where this thing is going to go so that we can skate where the puck is going to be, not where it is and be successful. I love you guys. I'll talk to you on the next episode of the Star Guided Entrepreneur.